What's up, my friend? Welcome back to another episode of the Year of Plenty podcast, the show to bring you closer to your food source and learn the skills to make every year a year of plenty. As always, I'm your host, Paul De Wieland, and the following is a conversation with my friend Kenneth Thrall, who works for Kifaru, and it's all about hunting mountain whitetail deer. Ken is a lifelong hunter who specializes in elk, deer, and other big game animals in the Mountain West. And I wanted to bring him on because he's really a master hunter with such a wealth of knowledge, and he really successfully punches tags on public land year after year. But more on that once the episode gets started. So I'll get to an episode overview in just a second here, how I always do it. But before that, I want to let you know that Montana Block is sponsoring the Year of Plenty podcast, and they're offering you 15% off with the code Year of Plenty on their entire selection at their website, which is emptyblock.com. Montana Block is a small family-owned business from Billings, Montana, which is really close to me here. They make beautiful wooden kitchen utensils, you know, end grain butcher blocks, specialty cutting boards, and even wooden magnetic knife holders. Every material that they use is sourced in the United States, and it's all handcrafted. It's all really functional art. And, you know, I have about three products from them now, an end grain butcher block, a magnetic knife holder, and a giant um, specialty cutting board that can actually hold an entire elk quarter. And I'm super happy with all their stuff. You can even get you know, a wood engraving on the uh, cutting boards and the butcher blocks and the knife holders. I think almost every one of my products so far has some sort of engraving in it, which is super fun. And, you know, if you ever get to the point where you feel like it needs a repair, like your cutting board needs a repair or your butcher block needs a repair, they got you covered. They will fix it back up for you. But I really don't think you're going to need that. Honestly, if you take care of these wooden kitchen utensils from Montana Block, I know they're going to last you a lifetime. And they're really kind of those kind of things that you might even be able to hand down, you know, to future generations, which is always something I'm looking forward to doing with my kitchen utensils, like my kitchen knives and whatnot. So definitely check them out on their website. Again, it's emptyblock.com. And the code is Year of Plenty, all lowercase letters, for 15% off their entire selection. And then part of that sale is going to kick back to the Year of Plenty podcast. So it's an amazing way to help support this show and help me keep cranking out more episodes for all of you. Okay, now for a quick episode overview. So we start out by talking about the value of getting your meat supply through hunting and the self-sustainability that comes with that. Then we get into the main topic of the episode, which is mountain whitetail deer hunting. We talk about why hunting whitetail deer in the Rocky Mountains is a rewarding pursuit. And then we get into when and how to scout for whitetail deers in the mountains. Along those lines, we also discuss hunting strategies to increase your odds of actually killing a mountain whitetail buck or mountain whitetail deer in general. And after that, Ken then shares his gear essentials for hunting in the mountains and what gear he was most excited about during the 2023 season. Finally, we end the episode by talking about Ken's backcountry uh, fitness routine, you know, how he stays fit during the year to be able to chase deer and elk in the mountains, and then also what he likes to eat out there in the backcountry. 
All right. If you get value from the show, please hit that follow button. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you leave a review, make sure to send me a screenshot either to my Instagram, my X profile, or my email. Links to all those will be in the uh, episode description. And you know, if you do that and you send me a screenshot of your review, I will send you a download link to my food preservation ebook for free. So please consider doing that. And then also share an episode with a friend. Word of mouth is still the best way to help a podcast like this grow. You know, if you have a friend that gets value from the topics we discuss on here, just shoot him an episode and see what they think. Awesome. That's it for the intro. I don't want to make it any longer. Let's get straight into this episode with Ken. So Ken, how's it going, my man? Good to have you in the it's podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's good to be here. Definitely. I'm ready, ready to talk some hunting for sure. Heck yeah, me too. I mean, you're the right person to talk to. Uh, you <laughs> seem to have had a, an absolute killer season. I, I mean, last year, even the, the year before, and um, this year, this past 2023 year, especially from at least what I was seeing on Instagram, you killed at, at least yeah. two elk, right? At least yeah, two so elk. I ended up. Ended up killing four elk. Um, wow. Yeah, so it was four, four elk, uh, three deer, and an antelope. So, yeah, I Jesus. guess you can count spring bear. Spring bear, too. I killed, got a Montana bear. So, yeah, it was a that, action-packed year. Is that normal for you, or was that the, the best year so far? It's the best total year, I guess, um, in terms of filling tags. I, I filled my – the last six years, I think I've 100% filled my tags. Um, so whatever I have got, you know, just get stuff on the ground this year, I had abnormally more tags than I usually do, um, just with other States. So it just kept going after, uh, the first, you know, weekend of everything, but yeah, it was, uh, in the whole thing, the whole year, it was the most I've ever killed, especially killing four elk in a year. I haven't done that. <laughs> yeah. That's nuts. I mean, it's only yeah. my my second year in Montana and hunting the mountains and whatnot. I know you, where where are you from originally again? So I'm from Western Oregon. So grew up hunting uh, Roosevelt and Blacktails. So a totally different scene from you know the other side west, uh, being Idaho, Wyoming, Montana. Um, you know, so it's different terrain. Definitely very thick. If anybody you know is from the Northwest, they know that it's hard to hunt Blacktails and Roosevelts. Those are the two hardest species I've ever hunted. Um, so, yeah. but it cut, cut my teeth on that. So every time I go anywhere else, it seems a lot easier. Yeah. I was about to say, like you started with the really hard stuff and yeah, now I'm mm -hmm. benefiting from that. I, uh, yeah. I didn't kill an elk this year. Um, I let my girlfriend was the one that had shot the one in the herd. I could have shot one right after, like after she shot, they were just sitting there for eight minutes or so. But, um, <laughs> we, I had shot a mule deer doe the day before that I still had to process. Um, my brother the same day shot shot his first mule deer buck, and then my girlfriend's brother in the same area shot a bull elk. So I just I was like, yeah. I'm not going to kill an elk too because it would have been like five animals to take care of in in a yeah, short time. Yeah, yeah, Man. it's still. I mean, you're still part of it, and everything else is a lot of fun. Um, just being there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. we have for the first time we have enough meat to, to really, you know, not have to buy any game. And I remember, I think when I first yeah. met you last year, you, you kind of grown up that way, right? You you always eat yep, wild yep. game. Yep. Yeah. We grew That's up hunting, up. um, 
from the beginning. Like there's a bunch of videos my brothers have of me being four and five years old, just, you know, bebopping around with them in a, an old Tacoma. So uh, it's definitely was bred into me in a sense of, you know, living and eating wild game. I grew up on a farm, so we had, you know, eggs and everything like that. Um, so just self-sustaining in a way, you know, so it was kind of ingrained at me at a young age that that's the way to do it and, you know, to be healthy. So it just, as it carried on, I just, I got more and more into hunting as I, um, got throughout the years, obviously in high school, you know, you're playing sports and stuff like that. So it gets a little bit on the back burner, back burner. But after, after high school, I really dove in, especially wanting to be more proficient. Um, and I mean, I, that's all I dedicated my life to right after high school, just working and hunting and I didn't do anything else. You know what I mean? So, um, I think right. it's eight, eight years now consecutive where, um, I've never had to buy any meat at all. Um, so wow. it's definitely, yeah, that's, that's my biggest like fear or whatever going into season is like, I need to make <laughs> sure that I'm not going to be buying meat. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's, uh, was, it's definitely, was, was you know, that your was that your initial motivation for going so hard into hunting, uh, the, the mm -hmm. food aspect or really? Yep. Yep. So that's why it was more, it was food aspect. And also, I mean, hunting just brings a lot of whole thing. I've learned everything in a sense of life lessons and everything. I mean, there's so much failure, there's, there's success, but more of the time you're failing. Um, so just the hard, the hardness of it. I mean, I like for sure my mental toughness came from my brothers pushing me when I was younger to hike around, you know, keep going. Um, the, I remember the moment, especially now, like later I look back, I'm like, when was the moment I was like recognizing that working hard is going to get you success. Um, I was, what was I, I was 11, no, 12 years old. My, I was turkey hunting with my brother. My brother already shot a turkey and we're hunting mountainous country in Oregon, like not hunting them in low farm fields, like we're hiking. And, uh, it was like at the end of the day and this turkey gobbled at the top of the mountain. And I was like, I don't want to go for it. You know? And my brother's like, no, he's like, we're going to hike to the top and we're going to try to shoot it. You know, he didn't have a tag. So we're hiking up and, uh, I'm dying, you know, just like, this is, you know, just out of breath and everything like that. My brother's like 40 yards in front of me and he hits the ground and he just looks back and he's, you know, very assertive, like get up here now. <laughs> and he, yeah. uh, so I, quickly like snapped out of it and I was right to him. Like it was almost like everything, you know, adrenaline just took over, got to him and he's like just he's like peek over the hill, like the turkey's right there to shoot him, you know, and peeked over, shot the turkey. To this day, I've killed I think twelve turkeys now. Um to this day that's still the biggest turkey I've killed. And it wow. just like from that moment I was like, well, you know, we he easily could have just been like, no, like we're okay. We're gonna go home if you don't want to do it, you know. But he pushed me to go up and work hard. Um, so after that, that was kind of a switch in a sense of just like, I need to work hard if I want to do anything good. Um, so it's just growing up like that, you know, having older brothers that mentor me, um, and then hunting them with them as I got older, uh, especially coming out of high school, like I moved to Western Wyoming, um, and lived there for two and a half years and hunted there and was successful. And then when I moved back to Oregon, um, that's where it like really kicked in. Like I was spending every waking minute like in the mountains just wanting to learn like and that's how i got successful at killing roosevelt's was just hiking around in february and march and literally just finding where they're moving because the thing about there is they don't migrate they're going to be stationary mm -hmm. and so i just learned over the years of just how the how the elk are moving throughout country and then ended up just becoming more and more successful 
Um, and then you, that just you can keeps pattern, bleeding. You can yep. pattern does a bit more. Yep. Yep. And, that, and that's the thing is like now, yeah, like I, I can after that, cause it's very timbered country. Like I'm hunting thick timber. So all I looked at was topography maps, just literally topography, no timber and just figuring out how the elk move, like going through benches, like where pinch points are, where they're going to be feeding and all that stuff. And ended up, I could now, even to this day, like if there's a, if I'm hunting an area anywhere, Montana, Idaho, um, if I have a general unit, I look at it and I can pinpoint where the elk are. And right now it's still, you know, any state I go to, I'll find elk. I think, um, Idaho last time I hunted it, I hunted one day and then Montana, um, this year, I hunted one day, um, just went up there, you know, figured like the elk would be in this area and then went in there and sure there's elk. But that's the one thing is I just dedicated my whole, yeah, my whole life to that. You know what I mean? And now I'm fully, fully addicted into mule deer. So I'm starting to really branch off and just wanting to, you know, find big deer. And it's been fun. The last two years I've been full fledged into high country deer. So, but it's been successful through that way too. And it's keeps going. Yep. Man, that's awesome. I want to get to that point for sure with Alec, just to be able to to kind of look at the map. But like you said, you gotta just put the time in. And what what a mm-hmm. special way to learn that mental toughness through hunting and like that the learning how valuable hard work is. Because I mean, hunting is like the you know the most basic like human task in my like one of yeah. the most basic human tasks throughout our evolution. So like having dad really have that big of an impact on you uh there's just got to be some primal senses that got awakened you know yeah and yeah. i think that's probably 100 percent what happened you know just like <laughs> i know i i just treat it as a sense of obviously survival in a sense like i need me um you know i save a lot of money well i still spend a lot of money hunting obviously hunting other states and all that stuff but um being self-sustainable has always been something that i just thrive to do right and well and- um and I recognize working hard is the only way to do it. So, um, just, and that's one thing I recognize like different scenarios and stuff like that. But, uh, I grew up in a sense of how to do it and getting taught by my older brothers. Um, cause they're, they're still successful. Um, so it's just, it's a family affair, but also just me, I kind of took it over a little bit more than they did in a sense, just made it my whole life. Like they have families, all that stuff, but I just, that's all I do. I mean, I hunt, um, I backpack, I love backpacking. Um, if I couldn't hunt, I'd still be hiking around the mountains, you know what I mean? So it's just, just building into a lifestyle has totally turned over the success rate. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I definitely, definitely grew up different than most kids. Yeah. Well, I would say you probably grew up the right way and the way we were supposed to grow up in my opinion. But my big question is like, so you killed four elk and I think you said three deer, right? And an antelope. Um, mm-hmm. What do you do? Did you keep all of that meat or did you, did you donate some of it or are you, you eating it all? Yeah. So I, I, uh, I donate a lot, like at least to a family. Like I, like when I went up and I hunted in Idaho, um, I brought Michael, my brother lives there. So I brought a whole bunch of meat to them. Like they have family, you know I mean? They got kids. So anything like that, I love giving it to people that are going to use it. Right. Like I, something that really bothers me if, if I, like I killed something and then I see like they waste it, like I'm like, I yeah. can't, you know, do that. But if I see people that are very thankful, 
um, they use it for, you know, how they should, you know, eating it and nutritional, um, then I have no problem giving them it. And, but then again, like I eat a ton, like it's, I eat it every day. Um, very heavy protein diet. Um, in a sense, pretty much carnivore. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much carnivore. I really don't do much else just besides, you know, uh, animal products and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, I go over 450 pounds of meat just myself in a year, you know, so, um, I want to, that's one thing is that's why I do love hunting elk and that's where you're going to get most of your meat is killing elk. So right now I have three freezers, uh, three chest feeders that are full (laughs) at my house. So I have plenty of meat. Um, and that's just how I want it to be. And then in a sense, like if it comes to season and I still have a like a bunch built up, um, then I'll be giving it out more. You know what I mean? Just like I'll bring it into the shop here and, you know, we'll cook something up. I think the other day we had like nachos or something like that and I had some meat. So we just ground it up and they cooked it up. So that's, that's a nice feeling too, especially when other people are like, Oh, you know, what is this? Like talking about it, you know, like, and then I tell them the whole story of the hunt and stuff like that. Um, that's something that I cherish too. You know what I mean? Cause it's just part of life and also just totally. providing, you know? Yeah. Super special, super special. And, uh, oh man, I, I just had a question. I, I lost it, but <laughs> hang on. I was going to ask about freezer. Um, well, maybe I'll get, I'll, I'll get, I might get back to it. Um, yeah. a bit here. Well, oh no, you, you said you, you, uh, ate about 450 pounds of meat a, a year, right? Mm-hmm. Is what you just said roughly. So have you measured yeah, how much a- you get? Yeah. How much I get back from animals in a sense. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Have you, have yeah, you checked how much you get from an elk, you know? It depends like it, you know, between different, you know, there's so many different body sizes between animals. Like if I shoot a mature meal deer, like the deer I shot two years ago, that thing was huge. Biggest body deer I've ever killed. Um, and I probably got upwards of, you know, 120 pounds off of it which is a lot off of a deer. That's like, and I, yeah, you know, taking everything off. Um, but then like in Oregon, um, we killed Roosevelt's, you know what I mean? Big, big body bulls, like 1200 pound bulls, 1100 pound bulls. And we're getting 350 pounds of meat off of it. You know? So it's like you, it's very into like dependent. The Wyoming bull I killed this year is, you know, Rockies have Rocky mountain bulls have bigger antlers, but smaller bodies than Roosevelt's. Um, but even then when I killed that Wyoming bull, it is the fourth, uh, I guess the fourth largest Rocky I've killed in antler size wise. So I've killed three bulls bigger, you know, but this is by far the biggest Rocky mountain bull I've ever killed. <laughs> like I've shot him and body wise, I walked up to him and I'm like, man, I feel like I'm in Oregon hunting in Roosevelt's like, and that one took me usually with Rockies. It takes me two two trips packing it out. Um, but this bull, I had to do three. It's like, there's no way I can do two trips with this bad boy. So that bull, I probably, man, I probably got 280 off of him, 280 to 300. Like it was a massive body bull, but the bull I shot in Montana, you know, a little bit younger, um, like probably, you know, 150 to 180. It's just a ballpark. You know what I mean? I, didn't, I haven't really fully weighed, but the only ones I've fully weighed is Roosevelt's like back in the day. Um, but now it's just more or less just, you know, I kind of figure what I'm going to get. Um, but you know, typical, I think when I killed my Idaho deer, 
the pack weight of all the quarters and the back strap and everything like that. And then my bag was 118 pounds. Um, so I'm trying to, you know, trying to do all that math to figure out what it is. But I mean, I probably only got, you know, 80 pounds off of it, 90 pounds. It just, it depends on each animal. Um, so I just, I haven't really weighed everything in a sense of what I currently have, but I know I have enough. <laughs> um, so yeah. if I kill, I do know that I need to kill two elk and a deer in a year, most likely to get me through a year. Um, yeah. And so when I have extra, then I just feel better for coming into the next season. Um, but then depends on what I'm going to draw for the next season, how I'm going to hunt, you know I mean? It's cause like I could potentially come into this next season and have a lot of meat. Then, you know, I always like for deer, I love, I want to hunt mature deer, um, older class deer and stuff like that. But for elk, I don't, really discriminate <laughs> if it's a branch bull it's down yeah. you know so i yeah. i love i love elk meat and i know i'm going to get a lot of elk meat you know get a lot of meat from elk so that's my you know my main focus i just know if a deer if i'm solely eating a deer i'm probably gonna eat that meat really fast <laughs> like you know when people say like oh i got a deer now i'm good for winter i'm like not me like i need <laughs> to kill you know a lot more <laughs> um so oh, it's boy. it's more or less you know, just built it into such a lifestyle that I, I need, you know, I need to provide myself. So it makes you hunt harder too. Um, you know, I get myself in some sketchy situations in a sense of packing out animals, but it's still, you know, I, I work out so I can be able to do that. You know what I mean? So right. fitness and I mean, health is always a big you, topic. Your, uh, your amount of pack outs this past season must've been pretty wild. Yeah. Oh, it was fun. Were you always, yeah, it was, were you always alone? So, uh, every animal besides two, I was alone. Um, wow. so the, my Montana bull, I shot alone. I was by myself. Um, and then good friend, Ben Ipert shot him out a little bit, but he, uh, he drove from, he lives in Kentucky. He was hunting in Colorado and he works for us. So he was driving from Colorado to here. And I called him that I shot a bull and he's like, where are you at? You know what I mean? He's like, I'll head there right now. And I was six miles in is where <laughs> I killed that bull. So, uh, he's like, I'll head there right now. I was like, well, you know, I'll get it. But if you want to come and join, you can. So he drove all the way up to Montana from Wyoming and met me there. And, uh, he helped me out pack that bull out, which very thankful, you know, it took less trips that I needed to do. Um, and then Dan, uh, Dan Collins, another guy that works here, really good friend, best friend. And he, uh, he was with me in Arizona when I killed my bull there. So, um, other than that, all, everything else was solo. Um, the other three elk or the other, uh, other two elk were solo. And then, um, all the deer mainly, well, uh, my Wyoming deer, uh, Towson Jenkins was with me, a really good hunting buddy. And, um, we were both hunting the high country together. So big shout out to him. Cause he was definitely a big help in me killing that buck, but other than that, I mainly, I, I notice how more effective I am hunting solo. So mm -hmm. because I don't mentally, I just don't worry about myself at all, you know, so I'll hike wherever I'll go kill anything wherever. Um, but when I'm with other people, I think, you know, just more about them in a sense, like I probably shouldn't get them in this situation. Um, with the only guy I don't really think about that is with Dan. <laughs> um, me and him are kind of the same way where we'll just like, just continuously hike and then kind of get ourselves wherever and we know we'll get back. Um, but other than that, like I just, I know for a fact there's, I just have to worry about myself when I'm hunting. So I just, how hard I'll kill an animal wherever and I'm confident in myself and getting it out. 
Um, that's a yeah. testament to Kafaru too, because I don't have to worry about my backpack failing. Um, I've had backpack failures with other companies and the peace of mind of, you know, I could go the extra mile, but will my backpack be able to do the extra mile? Um, but now I know I'm like, I can do whatever my backpacks, I'm going to fail before my backpack does. Um, so the peace of mind of that I've, the longest pack out I have on an elk so far is seven miles. Um, that was last year in Wyoming, but yeah. And that one solo trip, I did it in two trips and that was a, that was the biggest, that's the biggest bull antler size I've killed. Um, and so taking, <laughs> yeah, and that was taking basically, cause I, my, this year I took, uh, two hindquarters in one trip, but that it wasn't seven miles. It was like a little over mm-hmm. one mile. Um, it was super, really steep, but still like, so you're basically taking like a hindquarter shoulder and a back strap every, like every time you go. Yep. Wow. Yep. I'm sure yeah, the, the pack out I did on that one. I usually, I, I like to space it out a little bit. Um, so if I have, you know, two quarters, um, I'll typically take, uh, yeah, like split it up. Cause I'll take off other meat compared to like, I'll keep the back strap and tenderloin in one bag and I'll take all the other loose meat, loose, loose meat and put it in another bag. Um, so I have two loose meat bags and then four quarter bags. So I'll just split that up into three and then just go through there. And then usually my last trip is the heaviest just cause I'm carrying out antlers and stuff like that. And it depends on the size of the animal, but, um, yeah, I'll, that first trip I'll try to take out. And sometimes I've gone like full on just taking out both let loose meat bags and then two quarters on the first trip <laughs> just depends on where I'm at. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I always try to keep it pretty, you know, level, but I haven't weighed a pack in a sense of those ones, just because situational wise, I just get back to the rig and throw all the meat in and stuff like that. Um, I think I've only ever weighed two packs, um, ever. And it's all been deer because typically deer, I'll just pack out one trip. Um, yeah. just throw all the quarters on and loose meat and then all that stuff. Um, but elk typically two is what I have to do. Um, but that's my, still a lot. Do you, do you, do you debone for that? Mm, do you, I, do you, which probably maybe should. I just love the fact of keeping bone in and for the fact of packing yeah. it, but also I'm going to get more meat when I get back. Like, no, if ands or buts about it, like if you, or if you're deboning something, you're probably not going to get as much meat as you would if you would have brought it back. Um, and I don't, I've never weighed a pack going in, you know what I mean? I backpack, you know, a lot more than a lot of people I know. And I've never once weighed a pack packing in. Like, I just know if I need this, I'm going to do it. So I feel like if I'm packing out meat, if I need that and how it's structurally built, like with bones in, it's going to haul better Then I'll pack it out. Um, it doesn't, I kind of have like a mental switch, like when I'm packing meat or anything like that, where I kind of just walk. I don't, I just don't think about anything, just kind of just go, um, which is a blessing, (laughs) but I really just know that when I get there, I'm going to get there and I'm going to get there with however much weight I have. Um, my body might not like that when I'm 40, but you know, (laughs) it's just a little mental tick. I don't know what it is, but I, I like packing meat in or the bone. You're right. You're, you're right. Well, you're right. And you definitely need a good backpack. I also have a Kifaro and I've never had any issues mm-hmm. with it. Um, and, and then the boots, right. If you're carrying out mm-hmm. like that, I think those are probably the two most important pieces of gear. And I'm also like totally about keeping the bone in one. I, I use the bones all the time. Um, they're amazing for food, you know, mm-hmm. and then 
Yep. Like you said, if you if you take those bones out, you're opening up a lot of the surface area to the the world of the meat. Like a lot, there's a lot more chances of bacteria to get in uh, trim mm-hmm. that you're gonna have to take off and whatnot because of stuff mm-hmm. drying. So we will get back to the episode in just a bit. I just wanted to jump in real quick to let you guys know how you can best support the Year of Plenty podcast. If you get value from the show, please consider doing a monthly donation on Patreon for as little as $2 a month. Otherwise, if you're more into the one-time donations, you can leave a donation for however much you think is fair over at my Buy Me a Coffee page. Both platforms will be linked in the episode description. Also, please share an episode with your friends or on social media. Doing that will let other foodies like you and I discover the show and come along for the ride. And finally, if you want to connect with me personally, head over to my Instagram, which is at Wheeland. Follow me over there and let's get a conversation started. Okay, that's it. Thank you so much for your support. Let's get back to the episode. I can tell you're a meat hunter because you said, your last trip will be the heaviest because you—that's when you bring it uh, out the the antlers. So, yep, yeah, that's- yeah. I never, I've never once packed out antlers first, just because I feel like it's bad juju too. Like, you know what I mean? I, I like, I love hunting. I respect, you know, the animals that I hunt. So, um, I want to make sure that I'm getting everything else out before I get, you know, the trophy, the stuff that's up here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want to get the the main thing out first, and that's the meat. And then I'll bring the antlers out last. You know what I mean? Just because it's a better peace of mind for me. I don't want to feel like I never want to feel like I'm hunting just, you know, for antlers. And I never have. <laughs> I, I hunt for myself. And, you know, it's it's something that I just I cherish. You know what I mean? Just like any tradition, just always be antler last. And that's all my brothers have done. That's all I've grew up, you know, raised to do. So <laughs> it's it'll be stuck in my mind forever. <laughs> totally. Totally. I love it. So man, well, one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you today, though, is because you're one of the few people I know who actually goes out and targets mountain whitetails, mountain bucks. Like, you know, I, like I said, I, I have two seasons under my belt here in the Rocky Mountain West now, and I haven't seen a single mountain buck yet, a whitetail. Um, from what it seems like to me, they're, they can be quite elusive, uh, but they're definitely mm-hmm. there, and you've had a lot of success hunting them. I think it's like for a lot of whitetail hunters, they don't really consider the West with steep hills and like conifer covered forests to be like prime whitetail habitat. But um, there is there is some big bucks out there, right? So yeah, let's talk about that first of all. Like, what about hunting the whitetail bucks in the mountains is so appealing to you? Because you, I mean, you mentioned you know like you you like to go after elk because of the meat and like mule deer those are obviously usually bigger animals but like what about the whitetail makes you want to pursue them in the mountains yeah i think i think it's just the areas that it takes me in the sense of style of hunting um it's a similar style to hunting blacktails in oregon um Mm. just in a sense like you're hunting them in the mountains it's thick cover so i feel like it's more it's more of a chess match than it is spotting something from 500 yards away um, you're trying to figure out like in this different situational, like wherever you're at, if you're in clear cuts or if you're in timber, like you're going to hunt them two different ways. And I think it's just, I, I love challenges. And that's the thing is like the a white tail, especially this season. Um, it's going to be challenging. Like you're going to have to figure out where they're moving, what they're doing, and also what they're eating on and where they're bedding. Um, 
you know, when I, when I hunt, I kind of just shut off from everything else and just analyze everything. And, and I overanalyze a lot of different things, but, um, I just, I think it's the challenge and also the terrain. I, I need to, you know, growing up hunting in Oregon, I still love to hunt that type of stuff. So that's kind of the closest thing to it. And, uh, like I, I hunt mountain whitetails kind of close to how I hunted blacktails in Oregon. Um, you know, and the biggest thing in which we, I didn't get this year was a weather. Like I, I love, and especially hunting later, later season, you know, you got it that in Idaho, you got it in Montana, you can hunt them during the rut. Um, so that's that the a best lot, season. I was going to ask you like yeah. what the best part of the hunting season would be to target them. Usually the yep. late season. And I'd say, you know, that, that late season, um, the, and ironically the biggest, uh, mountain whitetail I shot was November 3rd. So it wasn't even when he was really rutting that hard. Um, but like, I'll, I like to target that 15th through 25th, like range that 10 days, the in between there. Um, it seems to be the most activity in the sense of them moving around. Uh, but like some years, like I would hunt early just because of the weather. Um, so typically like when I hunted Oregon and I saw a good weather day coming and a good weather day is when like because blacktails and big bucks are always nocturnal. Um, a good weather day is when it's raining at night or snowing at night and it's going to clear up. So not, not sunshine, not sunshine. <laughs> no, nope. yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. And that, you know, like when I see that, I kind of already depict what's going to happen is that those bucks, even during the rut, those bucks are still running at night. Um, especially good, you know, mature bucks. But uh, I like to look to when it's going to be raining or snowing at night because those, you know, the deer are already out feeding. Um, this especially is heavy with blacktails. Blacktails are the most nocturnal uh, deer species in, like, in North America. So when those oh. bucks are feeding at night they and it's raining or snowing, they don't want to move just because they can't hear. So they're standing there. And I've seen this full depiction happen before. And they're just standing there and they're waiting. Um, so when light comes and it's finally starting to clear up, they'll start moving or they're going to be bedded in the open. Um, so on the situation of that November 3rd buck, I saw a storm coming. Um, so I hide, hightailed it there and got there and it was that night. So it snowed, it was storming that night before, and it was kind of midday and I was just hiking to this spot, just glassing, just trying to find a deer that's bedded or up and moving and ended up finding that buck bedded and he's bedded in the open, just kind of just waiting, you know what I mean? Waiting for that weather to clear. Um, and sure enough, as soon as it kind of the fog lifted and everything, he got up and was ready to start feeding back into the timber. So he was there all day, but he was just waiting for that perfect time where he felt comfortable to move. You know, they, they don't get, they don't get big, you know what I mean? For no reason. Like they know what's going to kill them and what's not like mountain lions or anything. Like they're more vulnerable in this certain stance and they like to be out in the open or, but even then it could be raining, say it's clear throughout the night, but then it, storms during the day they're going to be in the timber just because they're already in the timber they're bedded they have more aware about themselves they're not going to get out and get out into the open typically you know not unless it's a rut where there's a doze out in the open then they're going to go out but um for that bus that buck specifically i just read the weather and i was like this would be the day that a big buck kind of slips up um and it was throughout that week. So I was going to hunt that whole week and you know hopefully turn one up but it was <laughs> i shot that buck two hours but like between getting there. Like I drove from Oregon, got there and then walked out into this clear cut and here, there he was, but you know, and wow. it's situational like this year, 
there was a lot more snow during that time. Um, but this year, I mean, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of snow during November. Um, so I had to hunt them totally different. I couldn't rely on certain areas where they're going to get pushed into or come down off high. Cause you know, those deer, like it is whitetails, but they'll migrate off the, the higher stuff and come down. They do like that lower country, but mountain bucks are way different from those prairie deer. <laughs> like they're a lot yeah. more cagey, a lot more, they're unpredictable for sure. You just don't know kind of what they're doing. Um, but in past years, it's just a lot more snow. I can kind of isolate where they're at, especially at a certain elevation. Um, but like this year, the less snow, I was really struggling to find them, especially hunting other spots where I'm finding deer, but I'm finding a lot of small deer, like a lot of little bucks chasing does. And I just, it kind of took me a little bit to figure out, but eventually, um, that snow kind of isolated them in a sense. They were still melting off those, uh, those South slopes because the sun, you know, rising, it was melting off the South slopes. So those deer and the does were hanging out on the, the feeding side. Um, so I would notice tra- more tracks on the south slopes, less on those north snowy slopes. So I just kept targeting mm-hmm. those. And then finally, I figured out that I couldn't really pinpoint them because they were it was still clear. So there's a lot of activity at night. So all those deer be rutting during the night. They go into the timber and find bedding. So eventually, after like four days of just, I'm seeing deer, but nothing that I want to shoot. I eventually just started still hunting, just going through timber, slow moving. Um, just trying to find bedding areas and stuff like that. And eventually I ended up jumping like deer jumped up in front of me and it was a pretty nice buck. <laughs> and I just couldn't get a shot off on him, a clean shot. You know, he just running through the timber Damn. and then finally, but when I saw him and then after that, you know, I'm disappointed, but then I started to figure out, I'm like, okay, like now I do have the right recipe. Just, I just need to keep doing this and ended up one of the mornings, saw another big buck. Um, couldn't get a shot on him. He's just moving through chasing a doe and I got closer. And then the buck I ended up killing, he came around and looped around and was out 200 yards, just going through the timber. I just laid down and then waited for him to get an opening. But he was, and that was around 11 AM. He was up moving and just walking around. So, and that's another thing too, is the majority of the animals I've killed, like, I mean, elk and deer, I kill midday. Like I don't kill them really? early. I don't. Yep. It's around that ten to ten to two is the the time period where I'm, so you I'm most must successful. do you kill them a lot in the timber then usually or yeah I'll kill them in their I bedding areas um, yeah. yep yep I'll kill them in their bedding areas and like I they they they're gonna follow the does wherever they are especially during that November time frame like they're gonna be and the thing is is like there could be a group of does but that buck could be bedded eighty yards from them like just not with them especially mature deer. Like they just, I don't know, they got a different sense of mind. <laughs> and, uh, but I'll, I'll sit there. If I see does, I'm going to sit there and look at everything, like just pinpoint, try to find, I did find a really nice buck, um, the morning. Yeah. That's like the morning before that. And he was just off the does. Like I was sitting there looking at the does and they're kind of milling around, but he was just standing there like for the longest time, finally glassed him up. Um, and then, try to move in and then they eventually moved off and then that's when i've shot the other buck but it's just trying to find where those big bucks are and also pressure wise like where i shot the buck this year was technically not really that hard to get to but just hard enough (laughs) you know what i mean like where it's not that far i think the pack out ended up being like two miles or something like that um 
but it's just a niche spot like where no one's going to drop into. Um, and typically not a lot of people do like they're just driving the roads right. or they're walking the roads and just keep going. But even then just cause I, I bailed off that hillside probably, um, 400 yards. And then that's where I started to see all the sign, like right off the side where no one could see, um, like deer are smart. They're, they know where to survive and they, they know where their buddies got shot. Um, so when that's the case, just getting off a little bit from where people are, like I, I would notice too, in some areas where there's gates, I walk in on them and say like a mile, that's where people stop. And there's not a lot of deer tracks within that mile, a lot of boot tracks. And then I go, you know, a quarter of a mile past that there's deer tracks everywhere. Like it's just going like it, like it, the biggest saying ever is going the extra miles. And it, that really could yeah. be the difference between you killing, uh, you know, anything like elk, elk don't like people either. Like they're going to be in a niche little spot where no one is. Um, so it's just my mind slowly depicting things and trying to get in the scenarios like this year, typically I would find those bucks in the open. Um, just on a good weather day, you know, just seeing like, okay, like storming, like this is going to be good. Deer are going to be out. Um, but this year I'd never got that. All I got was, you know, clear skies, full moon at night, <laughs> you know, so it's totally different, but eventually just figuring out. And that's another thing too, just because it's a full moon doesn't mean those deer aren't going to be out. And if it is a full moon, they're probably going to be out midday. You know, they have to get up and eat. They, they need to, especially in November, like they need to start bulking up for the winter. Um, those does especially will be up. And well, if the does why, are up, why would you, are up. So why would you expect them to be up midday if there's a full moon? Yep. So they're up all night and that's the thing. They're up all night eating. And then typically like when that happens and I do f like find deer, I find them bedded right at first light. Like they're bedded, they're sitting there, but the thing is the sun will like rise and it'll eventually either hit them to get them up or they just finally need to feed a little bit. Like them you got to think like if they're feeding all night right and then they bed in the morning the odds of them bedded all day are pretty slim because they need to eat at some point um even when a buck like if you're hunting high country deer um even if it was a good night really dark night and they're feeding in the morning they'll bed down and then the sun will hit them they'll get up and typically they'll feed a little bit before they rebed into a, you know their second bed um it's just the nature of their mind. And also, you know, does know that they need to pack on, you know, weight before winter. So they can, they're going to get up. And then if they get up, you know, the bucks are going to get up and follow. Um, so if I see that, no, no, the moon, I never have once looked at the moon and depicted how I'm going to hunt. Um, I've killed bulls during full moons, you know, like they'll, and that's one thing though, too, is like bulls will still rut out throughout the day the cows will bed down, but those cows will get up at some point, kind of move around, even if they're in the timber. Um, and, and typically like when that happens, I'll target, um, bedding areas. Like I'll find where there's feed, where it goes up and there's slopes. Like if there's benches at all, those, their elk are going to be there, especially if you find first sign. Um, I think I've killed two bulls doing that, like where they're just bedded and then finally got the wind right and just snuck in and then either got them to come in or snuck into the herd and shot them. Um, it's just, situational dependent like like i say like i don't look at the moon but i know if the moon's bright they're going to be somewhere animals don't vanish right. when the moon's bright <laughs> you know they got to no, be somewhere no. um yeah yeah so it's just you know it's situational and i've anal over analyzed so much my whole life you know and just been like you know so worried about something and then slowly figuring out that i shouldn't be worried about that you know but 
situation yeah, going out and doing it yeah so it sounds like for the um the mountain bucks the whitetails though good weather meaning really shitty weather is super mm-hmm. important and then you, <laughs> yep. you mentioned you mentioned some things like clear cuts um logging roads are those kind of the terrains you're you're targeting during those sh- like or mm-hmm. after a shitty weather during the night you'd go out and walk logging roads and look for clear cuts and whatnot yep yep and typically like during that time of year like where they're going to get their feed is going to be in clear cuts and stuff like that especially right. if there's snow um the snow is going to be right. buried anything in the timber so that's going to want to bring them out that's why like this year was so different compared to others is because those deer had to be out in the open to be able to eat um these deer didn't they could feed in the in the timber you know what i mean so it's just like i the clear cuts are what i pinpoint just because if you open up any terrain to an animal it's going to want to gravitate to it because there's going to be more feed when sun can hit anything and hit more open areas there's going to be better nutrition so right that's i like to pinpoint those areas and that's with any animal with elk too um but and and some are situational dependent like you're, there's going to be bucks where there isn't that much openings or isn't any clear cuts like there's probably going to be a little meadow that they go out and eat in and stuff like that but where I'm going to find majority of the deer and majority of the, you know, good mature bucks are going to be in those clear cut areas. Um, so what I do like, I like looking for clear cuts, but I'd like looking for gates on those clear cuts where you have to hike in. Um, there's so many different areas where, you know, like different logging companies that allow access to drive in, which you can kill a buck. You can kill a big buck doing that. Um, but for me, like I need to, I, I can't think straight if I'm driving around, like driving around yeah. glassing areas. I just, I don't know why, like I need, I need to be kind of quiet and just like analyzing everything. So I like hiking into areas um, just because it's more or less me just like slowly figuring stuff out. Um, when I'm, when I'm driving around, I'm typically just distracted, you know? So I just, I think I look, I target those areas and potential of finding a giant in those areas are higher. Um, just because they're not getting driven, you know, people aren't driving the roads, just blasting them off the side of the road. Um, totally. so if I can find a gated, a gated clear cut, then I want to check it out. You know what I mean? And do you go out and scout before, or is it just more like, uh, you know, at this point you kind of know what to look for when you're out there as you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So I, I typically, the only thing I scout is really just animals in Wyoming, just because it's the home state and also just, you know, trying to focus on that. So like when I have seasons like this, where I have so many tags, like I never scouted anything, um, in any other state. So what I kind of depend on is just my e-scouting, like just, I'll study maps for hours. And it's kind of just something that I've narrowed down. Like I probably should do videos on it. Cause I have so much built up in a sense of how to look at terrain, where bedding area is going to be and like that. Um, so I typically just rely on e-scouting and then weather and just depicting on where stuff's going to be. Um, and then, you know, for scouting, I do take scouting. I think scouting is important if you live there, like, you know what I mean? Cause it's hard, it's hard to drive to someplace and then scout once in that whole time. And especially for mountain whitetails because, and during November is typically those bucks aren't going to be where they are during the summer. You know what I mean? They're going to be wherever the does are. And that's another good tip. If you're scouting for elk, like if you're summer scouting for elk, don't go look for bulls, look for cows, find out where the cows are. Um, 
because those bulls, no matter where they're summering, they're going to move from there. They'll summer there and the winter there. So if you find bulls wherever, you're like, oh, maybe they might be here in the winter. So, you know, just kind of depicting on where they're going to be, uh, I will always target the species or the the other sex where they want to go. Like during the rut, the elk, they're going to go where those cows are. The cows aren't going to go to the bulls. Um, which I made that mistake young in my hunting career, just like, oh my God, I'm finding all these giant bulls, like in Oregon, you know, just putting trail cams up and then come hunt season, I can't find them, <laughs> you know? So eventually I just started targeting, targeting cows and does, wherever those does are, those bucks are going to travel to those does. Um, so if you're hunting any sort of rut, just look for the does. If you're hunting that early September and want to, you know, if you're hunting bucks in September or, um, you know, whitetails in September, you want to find them in the summer, then that's where they're going to be. But other than that, it's hard. Like if I, if I scouted for like mountain whitetails, I would scout terrain more than I'd scout the animal. Um, if yeah. I'm in a terrain, like where there's a bunch of rubs and stuff like that from the previous year, it's like, okay, like maybe they, there's a lot of does around here, but the bucks seem to be here when they're running. Um, same goes for elk. You know what I mean? I'll find, that's I did start pinpointing that in Oregon too. Was just finding areas where there's a bunch of rubs and it look like a lot of rut activity. Just that's where they're going to be the following year, especially if there's a historical, you know, route of it. Like each year there's rubs there, um, then it's probably a good chance you'll catch them there at some point. Have you noticed a difference between like? Because with elk, you know, I see a ton of rubs, like a shit ton in a small area, and mm -hmm. uh, then I'd assume, yeah, historically, like I see different eight you know years of rubs then i would go there and target them but i was i was reading this past year that if you see a lot of rubs it could be more of like a pre-rut thing um where they're mm -hmm. just kind of marking a ton whereas then during the rut you might see a little less rubs is that a pattern you have noticed for elk at least i've noticed yeah i've noticed that too and even um it depends on the rubs. Like if you're finding a rub and this is just true, just in a sense of a bull's like hormones and tests like testosterone flowing through them. But if you find a tree that's absolutely destroyed, like in the sense, if they twisted it off or anything like that, odds are that's a rutting bull. Um, if you find like where they're just rubbing their tines on it and then just small rubs, then typically that's just them either rubbing velvet off or even after season. Like if you're, they'll, they'll rub antlers, they'll rub trees all the way up until they shed, you know, they'll rub them in December, you know, and stuff like that. So they, um, you got to just read it. Like if it's just a small rub and you just where they're rubbing it, either it's going to be a small bowl or it's going to be a giant bowl. That's just rubbing a tree just to rub it. But if you're finding rubs where they're going all the way up, you know, past your hands, just tearing up trees, tearing off all the branches, literally that's going to be an angry bowl. And so yeah. I like to see that if I see a rub that's destroyed, you know, then I'm like, okay, like this bull was just hot. So looking for them like that, like if, if you see a bunch of small rubs everywhere, then it's probably a bachelor group just rubbing the velvet off and then going from there. But yeah, so you definitely, you want to target which the temperament of where it's at and also the, the topography too. Um, obviously if you're seeing a lot of cow sign anywhere and historical cow sign and big trails, um, then that's a good sign. Um, and then if there's rubs around there, then that's obviously very good. But the one thing about also, I mean, Rockies do have a general area of where they are, but since it's so open, you know, Wyoming, Montana is those elk are very nomadic. Like they'll move, say the, historically they've rutted in this one area, but now they got more pressure from say people or 
wolves like or bears and stuff like that don't move they're going to find another spot for that year and they could come back the following year but they're just going to move wherever they're getting pushed or you know wherever the the cows want to take the bull but because that's one thing the the bulls they really don't depict on what's going on with the herd the herd is going to be depict on how the cows are moving you know like if they go to bed if the cows are going to bed, the bull's going to go to bed, you know, they'll do whatever the cows are doing. So you just more or less, like after I started to realize pinpointing cows and figuring out where those are in the summer, um, where they are in the winter, then after that, then I put a pin on there and I'm like, oh, I'll come back here. And then typically, well, pretty much every time there's going to be a bull there during September. Um, so that's just, that's a good tip. You know, just if anybody's scouting, if you're coming from over East and you want to scout for a weekend, scout for cows don't scout for bulls like it's it's fun seeing bulls during the summer like they're cool big velvet you know like that but it's not going to be effective once it comes to the comes to the fall right because the cows are also not going to move a ton they're going to have their young and whatnot they're Mm going to stay in that area and they're going to look like all spring and summer for the highest feed areas like the best areas where they have a ton of food yeah yep that's a really yep really good tip i love that and so going back real quick though to the mountain bucks um mm-hmm. we talked logging roads and clear cuts how let's say you're like you know you you find you e-scout you find clear cuts you know there's some logging roads around shitty weather is coming in so you're hiking up there once you get close to the area like how wh- what is your technique like are you still hunting you mentioned that earlier a little bit are you just walking really slowly are you r- still hunting through the directly through the clear cuts or do you like to stay more on the edge what what has been yep. best for you in that sense yep so i'm definitely i'm moving really slow like just in a sense listening but also just i want to keep my noise down as much as i can um any deer species they're going to be caging no matter what and kind of just always on edge um so obviously playing the wind like if i'm if i'm coming into an area say right off from the morning i'm gonna be coming from the bottom just because thermals are coming down. Um, but as soon as I, I'm moving up and I'm trying to wait and time it perfectly for when that sun comes up and bring the thermals up. Um, so mornings I'm hunting the bottoms, kind of skirting around. I never walk through the units, just want to be on the edge. Um, and typically you're not going to find those bigger deer on in the middle unless they're really hot on a doe. They're kind of going to be on that edge country and just be ready to bail into the timber if they need. Um, but I, I want to stay on the edge just a little bit. You know, I don't want to be out for the world to see and where they're going to see you just on the edge, just slowly moving, playing the wind. Um, but once I get up to a certain level and then that sun's coming up, I'll start to try to get above everything and then want to come down. Mm. Um, so I, I'll hunt, I hunt every, all day, the whole time. Um, I'm going to be out moving, like, and just checking out different stuff. Like if I'm looking in the morning, morning, I'm looking for them feeding, um, midday, I'm going to try to find embedded and then afternoons, I'm going to wait for them to see if they get up and start feeding. Um, so it's just more or less playing the wind. Do you get to a glass point later in the day. Mm-hmm. Do you get to like a yep. glass? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I'll get to a glassing point and where typically is when I'm hiking around and I see a lot of sign in one area, I'm like, okay, like they're either, they're either coming out in the mornings, you know, or they're coming out at nights, typically probably both. Um, then if I find a lot of air, uh, sign in an area or I've seen does in that area, I'm going to sit on them all that whole, by the afternoon, I'll wait till dark, just sit there in glass and then hike out in the dark. Um, that's one thing is like, I, 
I want to spend as much every waking second, you know, at least looking just because I know how fast something can happen. Um, so like if I'm a couple miles in and I'm glassing something till dark, I'll glass till dark and then hike out in the dark. Um, just because, you know, there could be that last little second that big buck walks out and then you have your chance. But yeah, like if I find a lot of sign in an area and where it's a good feeding source and where I can see a lot, I want to sit there and glass, you know? So, um, I'm moving out throughout the day. I'll glass in the morning, obviously, but with that logging country, like you can cruise those whole system, especially if there's a bunch of clear cuts, like, you know, it'll go from clear cut to timber to clear cut. Um, I want to cruise all that as much time as I can in the morning, just because those deer are up moving. Um, I probably miss bucks bedded, but I, I have seen too many moving around during certain times. And, you know, so I just want to cover as much as I can. Um, and then I'll come back into an area if I didn't see something like if I find sign, the deer are there. Um, so if I don't see them at that time, I'm like, maybe they'll come out at night and then I'll come back. And then, you know, just depends on whatever it is. Usually I'll see deer. Um, but, and if there's no mature buck, then that could be a mature buck the next day. It's just, you never know when, what's going to happen. You know what I mean? So it's just, I, I keep my brain active in a sense. Like I don't really, I don't leave. Like I want to stay there and be there at any time. Like I said, I'll kill, I've killed a lot of stuff midday. Um, and that just keeps me going. Cause I'm like, if I'm gone midday, then I feel like I'm missing out on something. So I just want to be in the woods. And if you're in the woods, good things are going to happen no matter what I've learned everything. And the biggest tip I can ever give is just be in the mountains. That's it. Um, you know, you could just be sitting there on the edge of something, then boom, a, you know, animal walks out in front of you. <laughs> I've had that happen before. Um, so yeah. it's just, just being out there is the biggest thing. That's true. And it sounds like from like the way you're doing it, that's how you've gained all your experience too. And you definitely have plenty mm-hmm. of that. So, and it also makes sense with what you were saying, like hunting early in the morning down below, because that's where the deer are going to be too, right? I mean, they, mm-hmm. from what I know about them, with thermals and whatnot, hunting like bluffs and now hunting. I haven't targeted the deer here in the mountains really, but in Wisconsin, I lived there in the driftless region. There's a lot of bluffs, so like foothill type country. And uh, yeah, thermal wise too, like they, as the thermal switch and go uphill with the sun coming up, they're going to want to move uphill too and get higher again, right? Mm-hmm. and um yep. so yeah it makes sense how you're moving with him like da- bottom to top and then kind of finishing somewhere high in a glassing spot i liked that a lot and are um are you uh like looking for a specific sign or just anything you can find anything i can find especially if you're finding doe sign the odds are that there's going to be a buck somewhere um if i'm seeing fresh rubs that's always a very good sign uh, but even then I won't pinpoint rubs just because those bucks are moving so much. Like if they're, if there's a buck with a doe group and he breeds them, then he's going to leave. He's not going to stay there with them. So the odds are you're kind of just with anything in hunting, you're playing with luck no matter what. But if I'm looking for sign, I'm just looking for any sort of deer sign. Like if I'm finding doe sign, then I'm going to pinpoint it. Um, if I find a big, you know, usually, and I, didn't really get into this until the last few years. Um, but really analyzing tracks, like if I see tracks, um, especially you'll notice what a big buck track is. Like if it's, you know, big old track on there, the odds are it's going to be a giant buck. Um, I started pinpointing that too with scouting mule deer too in the high country. 
um, just getting on trails. And then eventually I found two bucks this year, two big mature bucks, just because finding their track and then just glassing around and finally found them. Um, so if I see a big track with, um, with a doe group, then I'm like, okay, like I should pinpoint this. And this year it was tough. I will all follow tracks too, if I can. Uh, Cause in turn, if you're hunting mountain whitetails, there's a chance you're going to find a mountain mule deer too. Um, so yeah. the first year I hunted, um, I ended I killed a mountain buck, a mountain mule deer. Um, and that was just following tracks. You know what I mean? So it's just finding a track with a doe group and there's a buck track with it and just slowly following it. And eventually you're going to catch up to him. Yep. Yep. And odds are like that buck I shot, he was pretty, he was alert already and like saw you, but I did it again that same year. Uh, I took my brother out and he killed a really big mountain whitetail uh, or mountain mule deer. And that buck was still pushing does when we walked up on him. So that was like perfect scenario. He was walking. Like, I just see a deer. I'm like, dude, that's a big buck. <laughs> shoot it. And, uh, he was still pushing does just walking. And that's the perfect scenario instead of trying to have a rush shot and stuff like that. But, um, if I have a good snow where I'm not going to be so loud, um, and I find a track, I'll follow it. But like this year I could not like those deer would hear me from, you know, 250 yards out, just, <laughs> just crunching through the snow. So I was trying to, I was trying to pinpoint areas where I was quiet in a sense that those South slopes, like walking on, you know, just straight dry ground is the best thing in a sense of being quiet. Um, but if it's that crunchy snow where it's been there for, you know, a couple weeks, sun's already hitting it a little bit, um, and freezing and dethawing, then it just makes it tough to follow anything. So if I find tracks in the snow like that, then I'll just back off and then try to glass the area. Um, mm-hmm. but just any sort of sign, like I'm not pinpointing, specific rubs or anything like that just if i find a lot of deer tracks around then there's going to be deer around somewhere right and what is the i think the deer's range is usually like a mile right it's kind of like what they say so if you stay within a mile you're probably gonna they're gonna be there somewhere yep yeah and typically that's like especially for whitetail they're pretty homebodies like they they don't move a whole lot like they're kind of just in this general area like say bucks Bucks will probably move more, obviously, than does. Um, but like with mule deer, like those deer are moving a lot, especially during the summer and the fall. Um, but whitetails have typically always been pretty good homebodies. Like there is a one good guy, uh, Troy Pottinger. I think he he lives in Idaho and he's killed some. He's the most consistent big white mountain whitetail hunter I've ever seen. Um, but he talks a lot about how those big deer, like they'll, especially ones, they'll migrate. They can migrate a good distance. Um, especially between that November and December timeframe. So it's kind of just area dependent. Like if you're getting a good amount of snow in the mountains um, and those deer around that 7,000, 8,000 feet foot range, then they're going to move down at some point, but they're not going to move like in Wyoming where those deer move, you know, 200 plus miles. (laughs) Like it's just, it's totally different. Um, But if I'm during that timeframe, if I'm finding those does, because those does really don't move a whole lot eventually a buck's going to join them. Um, so it's just, it's nice getting an area where, like I said, that's out of a way. Once I find an area where it's out of the way of people and there's a lot of deer sign in there, I know historically there's, that's going to be a good spot. I think in one area that we killed four bucks out of four really mature whitetails. And this is the year, um, I finally moved to a different spot because I just couldn't find the the bigger bucks in that area and I moved to a different spot and now I have a whole new spot that 
I'm really excited about, especially for the coming years. Um, so it's just, just kind of moving the thing. Like don't definitely don't get stuck on one thing because that can be the death of your hunt. Um, if it's not working, try something different, have backup plans. And that's just the biggest thing I learned in a sense of the terrain and how the weather's going to affect it. Say I get next year, I hunt that area and there's a bunch of snow. Um, then I'm probably going to hunt that number one spot where I have been killing bucks just because historically I found them there. But if it's the same, like it was this last year, I'm going to hunt the other spot because that's where I found a bunch of bucks. So, um, just analyzing everything. I really should probably should be writing everything down that I do, but I just keep it in my mind. <laughs> um, but it's just, that's just one thing that I keeps pushing me to try to figure out different stuff. And it's, it's fun when you succeed where you really put your effort in, you know what I mean? Like, I do love going out, shooting something on the first day. You know what I mean? I'll do it every time, but hunting seven days and then finally getting a shot at something, that's a lot of fun too. And especially after you know that you worked hard. Um, but like I said, I'll never take up a first day, first day handful. <laughs> totally. So when you're e-scouting for, um, for the mountain bucks to whitetails and you're looking for clear cuts, are you also looking for other, other terrain features around like specific parts of the drainage maybe, or maybe I'm guessing creeks and stuff like that? Yep. Yep. And the thing is, is like mountain bucks, especially mountain whitetails, like odds are they're always going to have water. Um, but typically I'll look for any sort of clear cut. That's not new. If it's fresh, then odds are finding them are going to be slim, especially if there's still logging equipment around, um, a, a lot, you know, a clear cut that is three years old, five years old. That's really good. But some that, some that are really good are like 10 to 15 where there's already, you know, it's called like, we call it reprod, but it's just, uh, younger trees that start growing up. They're harder to glass into, but there's going to be more feed because it's been growing for so long. Um, so I'll just pinpoint those and then like going in a sense of trying to figure out what terrain they're moving through. Like obviously animals, they love to bed on flat spots there, you know, any sort of benchy area. So if I'm looking at topography, um, you know, it could be a steep mountain or a steep hillside, but then if it comes off that hillside and there's some sort of bench, like odds are there's going to be animals bedded there, especially man elk have, I've gotten pretty predictable in a sense of coming from feed to beds. Um, and then like, there's been so many times the first, the first bull I ever killed with my brother, he taught me that was coming down from above into a bedding area. And then that's where you're going to find them. So I have just had that stuck in my head. So like coming in from above into bedding areas and just slowly glassing everything, um, and then you'll find them. Um, and I think deer do the same thing and they're going to bed in flat spots. Obviously they're smaller than elk. So you can find a deer bedded in the steepest thing possible, but they're probably on a little bit of a flat ledge. Um, but you know, for whitetails, I think they really like that those open flats to bed on compared to male deer. Well, they'll bet on that steep stuff. Um, but so I just want to see bedding areas and it's timbered bedding areas, most likely. Um, but even then, a lot of a lot of deer love to bed in those open clear cuts and just glassing them up. Even, you know, I try to look for just a little bit on the edge, like they'll be on the edge of that timber, the clear cut area, just kind of just bedded right off of it. And they could be hidden pretty good or they could be plain as day. Like it's just never, that's one thing 
you just never typically know where they're going to be. And this kind of keeps you on edge, you know, cause you can jump a deer at any moment. Yeah. No, definitely some great tips there. And I like the, the thing like coming into the bedding area from top. So that's something you'd probably do later in the day. Then if you know, there's a bedding area, you'd come in once you have, once the thermals have already switched and, um, yep. yeah, you've already made it to the top. That's pretty sweet. Is there like, but it's not like you don't really care about front of the drainage, end of the drainage kind of deal. That doesn't really matter no. too much. No, not too much. Like I think the deer and the thing about clear cuts and anything, the, the food source is really going to be along the whole thing. Like you can find them at the head of the drainage or in the, the, the upper end. It just depends on where the country, like if, like you could have a road that goes through the bottom of a clear cut, um, that people drive, but if at the top, it's a good distance, like there could be a lot of animals at the top, like where you can't see from the bottom. And the biggest thing, like if I'm glassing or if I'm checking anything, I want to be higher than it. Right. Cause death. And that's one thing like coming from above death comes from above. Like if you watch a mountain lion or anything, they, they come from the top. Um, you know, so I want to get above them and then where I can see everything. And typically I'll glass them farthest away from where people are. Um, so comes in terms of like the head, I think they, they tip, they like the edges. So like, if you're looking at anything, I will see them in the middle and I'll always glass the middle, but if I'm most likely going to see them work in those edges, just because I think they like the security of if something happens, they can just run through the trees. It's not like they have to right. run across the whole or, unit. Yeah. Right. Or like over a saddle or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That yep. makes sense. And are you ever trying to rattle these mountain whitetails in? Like, so, you know, with antlers? Yeah. That's something I just haven't done. I don't know why. Like, I, I did it a few times in Oregon because you can hunt blacktails during the rut too with a bow. Um, and I've rattled in a few bucks like doing that. But I don't know. I think it's just more or less, I do love the finesse and sense of doing that. But sometimes if I feel like I'm wasting my time, then it's hard for me to do it. You know what I mean? Continuously. Eventually it could happen. Um, but just like I, I, I know for a fact I'm a very aggressive hunter. Like I like to move. I like to check out country and then eventually find something. It just keeps me kind of going. Um, the only time I'll sit in glass is just for high country deer high country mule deer just because you have to do that if you want to find big bucks but for like elk or mountain whitetails i want to be moving around and i want to be analyzing everything um so if i like i know for a fact if i'm rattling and after three sits and i haven't seen anything i just i'm already thinking about like okay i could have been over there by the time i just did this you know what i mean so um it's effective people kill big bucks that way but i just haven't haven't fully just dove into it. Um, just kind of been successful with the other style. So it just more aggressive, more of aggressive style and it's, it's worked out. So I, I know it's effective, but I just don't do it really. What about grunting when you're still hunting? Are you ever bringing like a, a grunting tube and are you grunting as you're going, moving around or. So I used to do that quite a bit. Um, but not anymore. Uh, I'd love, I think I like, I think that could be effective. Yeah. But I, I think I like the element of surprise. Like I want to be able to see it before it sees me. Um, there's so many times where like, like you can see if you analyze it into elk hunting too, there's so many times where I'm walking and I cow call 
and I'm not hearing anything. And the next thing I know, there's a freaking bull running off that was, you know, 25 yards from me because it walked in quiet on me. And I, you know, deer yeah. do the same thing. Like they're so on edge, like they know they're coming to fight something. Like, you know, they were coming in. So they, you know, kind of still looking around. Um, it's more or less with the younger, like bucks and like bulls where I'll see that. Um, typically like if a mature bull, I think I've only had it happen once where doing that, like cow calling going through and then this, you know, big mature animal runs off just cause it was coming in quiet. But, um, I just, I want to be able to follow and then see it before it sees me. Um, that's just the element of surprise. Right. But, um, when it comes to elk hunting, I'll still, I'll cow call and stuff like that. Cause I've, I've shot two bulls doing no, three bulls doing that in a sense, like where I'm cow calling. And then finally I'm like, here comes a bull walking in where I saw them before I have, but I've had, I can't even count how many I've had surprise me, you know, <laughs> just coming in. And then next thing I know, I see a, the butt end of an elk just running off and, and deer, the same thing. Like I, I don't think I've, I haven't dealt much just with calling in general. I think I've called in or rattled in two bucks. Um, other than that, then I just, you know, want to be able to just still hunt, you know, just slowly go through and then finally see them moving or find embedded. Um, I don't know. It's just different styles. Like I, I think it's effective if you did the run, the grunting and eventually you're going to shoot one. Um, but I just like the element of surprise. Yeah. I mean, you, as soon as you call everything knows that you're there or something is there. Yep. Right. I do, I do get mm -hmm. the point of like back in Wisconsin, we would, um, use like a turkey call or a squirrel call because there's so many leaves and like you walk, you know, you mm -hmm. still hunt like walk, walk like ten steps and then do like a little squirrel call or something like that. Um, yeah, to just you know not sound like a sketchy human or something like that. But <laughs> yeah. um, out here in the mountains, you don't really have to worry about that too much um, noise wise because there's not any leaves really. But what do you, are, do you have a specific way to still hunt? I guess there's something, or do you just kind of go? Just slowly walk. Like it's to me, like I always feel like I exert more when I'm still hunting, just in a sense, just because slowly just moving through. Um, that's one thing I got taught young too, was always to keep your head up. Um, hmm. Just because, you know, your head down, you're not seeing anything because you're too, too worried about being quiet. Um, so I'll be quiet, but I'm also keeping my head up to where, you know, if I see anything moving around, then. I got it, but, um, still, you know, you want to be quiet. So I'm just moving. I'll make sure where I'm stepping, but always just looking up. Um, and I think like people still hunt different in a sense of how they move through the terrain. Like I'm moving through to where I'm not right in their bedroom, but where I can see it, you know what I mean? So I'm just off a little bit because I don't want to be coming down a trail where they're walking all the time, where I'm going to have them right there in front of me. Um, so I'll just be a little bit off of it, but on a path where it's not going to be quiet or it's not going to be loud. So just, and that's the thing, just not stepping on sticks and stuff like that. Not dragging your feet, um, just keeping a head up and just being aware of what's going on, really listening. Cause deer, they're definitely more quiet than elk, but if you're still hunting elk, like that's the best thing is just to hearing them before you see them. Um, can't tell me how many times I've just been slowly walking and then finally I just hear something you know, just off a little bit, uh, a little stick break or something like that. And then just sit there and listen. Like typically I'll probably go like 40 yards and then I'll sit there for like five minutes and just listen, keep going and just keep going up. Um, 
just because that little subtle thing could be the difference. And it always, you know, typically is. Um, but that's also just time out in the mountains, like where you know the sounds and what's wrong. And you got to think about it. Like if, if I'm feeling that, so are they, you know, they, yeah. they can recognize when something's off. Um, so it's just, it, as you start to analyze it like that, like where I can start to depict what is the difference between a squirrel and an elk or, you know, that and a deer, um, then they know what the cadence of a something walking is. Like they'll know a cadence of a human between, you know, another elk. So it's, it's fun, you know, just cause you're still trying to outsmart something in their bedroom. Um, so it's just, it's just addicting in that way too. But I just like to be slow and just methodical. Yeah. And I, I love it because I think most people, you know, I have some people listening that aren't hunters and think they'll be surprised to hear like how much really goes into all of that and like the considerations mm -hmm. of every step and whatnot. It's pretty special. Um, so one more thing with the mountain bucks though, um, gear wise, are you bringing anything special? Um, is there like a certain rifle you like for that kind of hunting or, um, on the other hand, binocular wise are you going with like a lower powered bino when you're doing that type of hunt or what's typically is there i'll still yeah the typically like what i'll do like bino wise i think running a 10 by 42 just universally for everything is just the key uh there's times when i wish i had higher power but there's never times where i wish i had lower power um mm. just because that 10 by 42 is still fine to where you're going to be able to see like a distance but if, and my eyesight's always been really good. So if like anything close wise, I can recognize it. Um, but there's something I got to pin, pinpoint out. I feel like that 10 by 42 is still, um, the good size. Um, I'd, I'd even use the 10 by 42s in Oregon. Um, but for rifle, like this year, uh, I got a seven PRC built, which is a new round. Um, but typically before that I was hunting with a six, five PRC, which is, you know, just like a 6.5 cream marsh shooting 143 greens. I feel like that's still perfect for deer. Um, but that 7 PRC, I loved what it did this year. My my sister-in-law shot a buck um, with it. Uh, I think it was four days before I shot mine. And um, it's a sweet gun. It shoots 175 grains. So it's not, you know, not shooting a 200 grain bullet like a 300 PRC or a 300 wind mag. Um, and I just found that to be in between. Like I shot two elk this year with that too. And... So that, that was probably the big surprise this year in a sense of, I finally found like the right caliber where I can use it universally for everything. Cause I think I shot, I shot a bear in the spring with it, a deer and then an elk. So it's just like universally, it just did, did good and didn't ruin a lot of meat. Like it just, you know, hammered them. Um, so I like, and that's the thing is like, I'm still, still hunting with a long range gun, you know, cause I, it, and that's the thing. I like that three to 18 power instead of having a five to 20, like that three to 18, I feel like is perfect just because I can crank it down to three if I'm in that timber. Um, but say I, like I shot, uh, the big buck I talked about that big mountain white tail. I shot him at 370 yards. So, you know, that's just where I can reach out and touch him, but also where I'm in the timber, like that buck I shot this year, um, he was moving through the timber. I had it on five power and shot him at like 180 yards, you know? So nice. it's just having that ability to go back and forth. Um, I still think you, you, you'd be effective, like hunting that type of terrain with a 30, 30 open site. Um, it's just area dependent. I just like having the fact that 
if I see something at distance where I can't get closer and especially clear cuts, cause there's, there's some big clear cuts. Um, then I want to be able to set up and shoot. So I don't think it's, it's definitely, definitely not a bad thing to have a big, uh, long range rifle with you, especially if you can turn down the power. Um, I couldn't imagine going through timber, like close range with a five power scope, you know? So it's like having that lower power, but also be able to go up a little bit more. Um, so that'd be just another thing, I guess that I really liked this year was just having that, um, the seven PRC, especially, and it did work it, you know, it, that deer dropped in sight and everything. So it's definitely what I like. That's awesome. Yeah. I shoot a seven millimeter rem mag and I've been loving that for out here. Shot an elk and deer with it, antelope. And it's, it's been good all across the board. And, uh, yeah, I, I see the whole, you know, I get the 10 by 42 bino thing too. I grew up hunting in the woods and in Germany, especially we, we used like eight, usually eight power. Um, but I grew up mm-hmm. with a seven by 42, like really old Leica from my dad. And I had that out here yeah. and in the mountains at the beginning and I liked it too, but it does, it does get, um, it, it difficult to get out in the distance, but I'd assume like maybe if you're in the timber and the clear cuts, a lower powered bino would be kind of nice to just quickly look somewhere and, and, you know, not have that crazy zoom, um, yeah. in there. Yep. Yep. And I think if you have that eight by 32 or, you know, eight by 40, like that's still, you're going to be just as solid, like working through yeah. timber. Um, that's if I had more binos, but I just have, uh, the Zeiss Victory SFs, uh, 10 by 42s, which I love them. Um, and just haven't had a, an issue with them. So if it's, you know, don't broke, don't fix something that's not broke. So I just not yeah. buy, you know, another piece of 10 by 42s, but if you have 10 by 42s, it's still going to be ultra effective. Totally. What about like shooting sticks? Are you, when you're doing mountain whitetail, are you bringing any of that or is that just in the way? Yeah, I don't bring any shooting sticks, just, you know, I think I've I shot two bucks, two mountain bucks where I have to offhand shoot them just because like it's moving through timber. Like I got to get a shot off. Um, but like this year, like that buck narrow shooting lanes and all. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So like, I, I want to be able to pull up and shoot, but like, I guess this year I could have used the shooting sticks just standing up. And then when it was moving through the timber, getting a shot, but I just threw my pack down and just shot off my pack. Um, so I, I, I don't see, at least for my hunting, I won't bring shooting sticks, just kind of use whatever I have, um, just to, to get a shot off. But it's still, if you have shooting sticks and be able to throw it up, you're obviously going to be more effective than shooting off offhand. But yeah, yeah, it's, I just haven't, haven't used them now. Yeah. I, I, I'm not good anymore offhand during my German hunting course. We had to do it every Friday during the course. We had to shoot offhand at a running boar target. Yeah. I got really good there, but then I have, I need to practice it again. I wish we had like shooting ranges like that over here where you had like moving targets like that. That's mm-hmm. pretty sweet. We don't, yeah. I don't, not that I know of that we have one here where I live, but yeah, that's pretty sweet. Cool. Yep. Well, is there anything else about mountain bucks that you think we didn't really cover that would maybe help someone find find them out there and get yeah, successful? Like, yeah, and I think the biggest thing um, is just trying to find where the deer are, and it's not in the sense of just you know 
trying so hard to figure out where they're at and why they're not here. It's just keep analyzing. Try to, if anything, write stuff down, like where you're finding sign, how many deer you're seeing, um, and just analyzing what they're doing. Um, because you could sit there and beat your head in the wall, just being like, why aren't they here? Like they should be here. Um, but just try to analyze where the feed is, where the does are, especially during the rut, um, and how they're moving through the country. Uh, cause like if they're going through different timber parts to get to another clear cut, they could be using that timber heavily more than you think. Um, so if you need, and just being out all day, like if there's times where you're like, okay, they're bedded right now. Maybe I should go give a rest. No, just try to find even where they're bedded. If you're jumping deer out of beds, that's fine. Like, you know what I mean? Like I said, like I jumped that one buck and I was like, okay, like now I know where they're at. Um, that was a key indicator. Yes. I screwed up on that one, but still hunting that same type of terrain. I ended up killing a buck. So just try to analyze everything, like stay out all day, figure out where they're at midday and where they're moving through the country is just the biggest thing. Um, I'm not going to say like, you're going to go out there and just smack a buck opening day, you know, right off the bat. Um, it happens, but also, you know, it could grind it out. Like, you know, that was my, my fourth year was this year hunting them. And it was the longest it took me to kill buck. You know what I mean? So just every situation is different. Um, and every new hunt's a new hunt and figuring out a new hunt is addicting to me. So, uh, just keep hunting and being out and you're going to figure out whatever they're doing. Totally. And, uh, when you, you know, when you say really key in on an area, do you, as soon as you find some really fresh sign, do you stay there all day, like to really learn it? Or are you more like someone who will then, you know, be there an hour or so and then move on? Yeah. So I'll, I'll walk around at least trying to like analyze and look at what's going on. But when I say like pinpointing an area, like where I jumped that buck, I killed it. I killed my buck probably a mile away from that, but in the same terrain. So just the thing is, is like that those deer were on a South slope, but on a South slope that was timbered. So there wasn't uh snow in that timber. So they like to go into there to bed and they'll come out and feed. So I started to analyze, okay, like they like to be where they can still be in the timber, but not have to be bedded in, you know, cold snow. So, yeah. um, I finally found that out and I just hit that whole mountainside, like just kept moving through it. And then finally it was a couple of days later after that, when I shot my buck, but I just kept going back, back, back. And I started to see more sign. I started to see more really good bucks. Um, so it's just pinpointing, not necessarily pinpointing area, but pinpointing the terrain. Like if I'm finding animals in one terrain, there's going to be more in another one. Um, so, you know, I didn't kill that buck where I first found that, but I killed it in the same type of terrain. Cool. Yeah. That's a really good distinction. Cause you know, I would have just stayed in the, like that one area, but yeah, really focusing on, yep. on the type of terrain and yeah, like the deer, they, they're going to, if they leave that one spot, they're going to probably, they were there for a reason. So they're going to look for another spot. That's the same, right? That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. to me. Cool, yep. man. And I bet that that was probably this year similar for elk too, huh? Cause I, I noticed that, um, they were just into timber a lot more and, um, having the Southern hillsides that are timber, that makes a lot of sense to me that they would have to cover mm -hmm. and, uh, they just have to get up and they can feed right there, even in the timber. Like they don't have to switch to mm -hmm. a whole new location that's super far away. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. Cool. 
Man. Well, thanks for all those great tips. One more thing I wanted to ask yeah. you was uh, the uh, your backcountry fitness routine, if you still got time. Um, yeah, of course. How, I mean, obviously, like you were, you're saying you're out there a lot, and that's probably the best training. But did you mm-hmm. like preseason or anything? Did you follow any specific plan, or is there anything you like to come back to year after year to get in shape? Yeah. So in the past, like I used to just do like my own thing in a sense, just uh, a lot of body weight stuff, but, um, I'm pretty centered around cardio and, and running. Like I do love running, which ironically I used to not like in high school, I didn't run cross country track. I did football and baseball, but now I run every, every day, um, you know, this morning and then, but I do, like I started, uh, talking with the mountain tough guys. So I've been doing a lot of that stuff, but mainly based on their body weight stuff, like 30, they're 30 for 30, uh, or the 30, 30, and then, the um, uh, no gear workout. Just, I like having that mobility kind of workouts. Like I, I do, I, I build muscle quick, but just from doing that stuff, I like to be able to be, um, athletic rather than having a lot of meaningless muscle on me. So I want to be cardio really good, which living at 5,000 feet and then going for runs and stuff keeps it up. But I will say the main thing and how I'm effective in the mountains is hiking. Um, Mm -hmm. That's nothing's going to beat that. Nothing's going to trump that. If you're out, you know, even say like if I'm backpacking every weekend, which I do, like as soon as spring comes, every weekend I'm backpacking, I spend over a hundred nights in the, in a tent. So, um, that is definitely the biggest teller. And if I'm, if I'm hiking high country where I'm going up to 10,000 feet every weekend, um, this year, I always say like this year's the best I've ever felt, but like, you know, 2022, 2023, and like going up like 2023, I felt like I was unstoppable and that's what I, you want to feel. And that's how yeah, I strive off that. Like if I feel like, um, I can go anywhere, my cardio is very good. Um, I can hike as many miles as I want and recover good. Um, then I'm feeling effective. So I, I take fitness seriously. Like I, I work out seven days a week. Like I'll do something. I never have rest days. If I'm, you know, going around, uh, on weekends, I'm going to be hiking, um, during the weekdays, I'm going to be running and then also just doing stuff at the gym. But, um, and in terms of routine, if you want to build a good, um, late, build your legs up, nothing's going to be hiking. Like you can do squats, you can do, um, you know, deadlifts and stuff like that, or stair steppers. Like, yeah, it's going to help. But if you got to get into the mountains, even if you're living over East and you got any sort of rolling Hills, put 45 pounds on your back and walk side Hills, side Hills, go back and forth. You want to build your, your ankles up. That's the biggest thing. Like once you get your balance down, then you're going to feel a lot better. And then I think just running and keeping that cardio base up has just been the most important thing for me. Um, like I said, I want to feel like I can go anywhere. And if I feel like my health or my, you know, my fitness is declining, then I know I'm failing myself. So I want to be, like I said, if I, if I can kill an animal in area, I want to physically feel like I can get it out and not have any limitations. So I just, I take myself, my body very seriously, especially, you know, ligaments and joints, like sometimes they'll hurt. Um, but I just, you know, stretching and stuff like that is key, especially when you work out that much. So just, just try to build a good cardio base, but also you want to keep muscle on. Like there's no doubt yeah, the, you can't, can't pack out an elk with no muscle. No. And the, the mobility 
is big for me this year a goal because i come like mm-hmm. from bodybuilding like that's how i got into working out and uh yeah so for me i still have like body dysmorphia always i'm like oh, i'm losing all my muscle but i i this yeah. year too and last year last year already i focused more a lot on just a cardio and then this year too i want to just be okay with losing some muscle and just be more like you said mm-hmm. more athletic and the mobility though so i'll have to try that 30 30 from mountain tough i've only done the um the preseason prep and i've liked that a lot but i've i've been eyeing those body weight ones and uh, no gear workouts mm. um i'll have to try those so yeah. uh, one thing though i want to ask you with the um um you were mentioning you're mostly animal based like carnivore diet um, everyone mm-hmm. always tells you when you're doing these kind of hard cardio workouts and when you're in the mountains, you need all these carbs. Are you are you still bringing a lot of carbs when you're in the mountains or what's usually your food look like? It usually looks like very protein-based, obviously. Um, but like I'll bring carbs like I think Bobo bars. I got some over there. But um, like Bobo bars and good clean carbs, um, I definitely know for a fact when I'm – when I'm backpacking, I'll still, I'll bring carbs and stuff like that. But throughout the week, even when I'm working hard and doing stuff like that, I can get away with just doing carnivore. Um, but I do notice like when I'm backpacking, I'm exerting way more than I am. Even when I'm working out here, like there, there's no way you can mimic the mountains besides the mountains. So I know for a fact, I have to have some sort of carbs like, and so I, I'm still not heavy carbs, you know what I mean? Like compared to some that just need those quick hitters, like uh, the gummies and stuff like that. But I'll bring bars and stuff like that. Bobo bars. um, Condition one is a good company too. nice, clean energy, kind bars and stuff like that. But even those that's mainly nut based and stuff. So um, just, I try to balance it out. But one thing I want to make sure I hit in the mountains is try to get as much protein as I can, but more eating that protein later at night as I go to sleep, just because that's going to be the best time for when I go to sleep, waking up in the morning. And I've noticed after I started doing that, just eating carbs and protein fats, you know, mixed out throughout the day. But when I get back to the tent, I want to get protein in me and then go to sleep. And then that's, that's when I noticed I started to really wake up and like feel a lot better. Cause less inflammation. Yep. And that's one thing I do not want to get is, you know, get inflammation, especially when you're backpacking. It's just not, not, you're not going to be as effective. And so I, I want to keep everything relatively clean. Like, and I don't care, like people can bring in certain snacks and foods, like, you know, if they want to eat Oreos or stuff like that. Um, but I typically like to keep it relatively clean. Um, and just more or less feeling my body to perform rather than, you know, doing it for comfort. Uh, like I'm there for a reason. I need to get these calories in very high calorie dense stuff. Um, olive oil packets and stuff like that's still very good. Um, if you can somehow get cheese like and stuff like that. Um, but I just, I want to keep it balanced to where I'm going to feel myself, but also I want to wake up feeling good. Like I don't want to wake up feeling like crap or you, you mean as you're backpacking, no matter what, you're going to lose weight. Like it's just, it's going to happen. So you just want to keep, keep it balanced to where you're not underfeeding yourself because once you underfeed yourself you're going to start getting injuries and stuff like that um so it's just i want to keep keep muscle on and 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 i'll go into season like right before season i'll put on a little bit more fat because i know i'm going to burn it within the first couple weeks so just kind of built up that you know what i mean but you know as i started looking at it more of a science rather than just like oh let's just grab a food bag or you know grab this food and go out um 
and just kind of analyzing what I'm eating, that's when I started to notice my performance going better. So yeah, I, when I'm at home, it's mainly just meat, eggs, you know, and stuff like that. But when I'm backpacking, I'll, I'll bring carbs and stuff like that just to balance it out. Just because I know carbs do, they'll give you energy. And that's the thing, um, especially pack out stuff like that. I'll just down a couple bars and then just start hiking away. But big thing too is electrolytes. Um, like I big, haven't found, important. yeah, very important. Cause I've, I've done it where I'm just drinking water. And then next thing I know, I'm cramping double leg cramps, <laughs> trying to cross a log. But now, uh, the biggest one I've been using the last two years, has been element. Have you seen that company? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yep. yeah. So I've been using, yeah, I've been using element and I found that to be the biggest, you know, swing in a sense of getting, that's my favorite electrolyte company that I've used. Um, you know, liquid IVs are still good. Uh, wilderness athlete, mountain ops and stuff like that. But the elements have been, I've noticed a big difference when I've taken that and then just start hiking. Um, so definitely you want to have electrolytes. If you're, you're going to be burning a lot of calories and a lot of sweat, um, and get something with some salt, you know? So it's, it's, it's funny. Cause like people don't really fully go into all that, but I, every single aspect of hunting, I, I want to be at my best. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun rabbit hole to dive into. Yeah, I love how hardcore you're about it, man. It's amazing. And I love even more that your main like focus is the meat and whatnot. Um, big, big motivation for me too. But yeah, Element is a great company. I wish they would sponsor this podcast. I, I know he just, uh, Rob, <laughs> know, right? Rob, yeah, Rob Wolf is, uh, I've been following him. He's the founder. I've been following him forever and read most of his books. And um, I saw they just brought out like some salted caramel ones for like for more in the morning. I really want to try some of those. That'd be really good. Yeah. Like it was like from experience, and, you, you should. Yeah. Those are you've good. Had it. <laughs> I've had okay. them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe yeah. I'll put in. I, I need to put, I just started going full like keto again. So I, cause I was yeah. doing mostly like animal based and then also like fruit and honey. But now we're going to try like going right now. We're doing 20 to 40 grams of carbs. And I've been sitting at like 25 to 30 the last few days. And um, yeah. I'm feeling great. Feeling great, but um, I, I the electrolytes are very important there too during that mm-hmm. time period. Avoid like the keto flu and whatnot. And um, I've just been doing the poor man's electrolytes, like lemon water and a little bit of tiny bit of honey and warm water, and that works too. Yeah. But there's mm-hmm. a it's a lot easier to just throw a packet into a big bottle and and chuck yeah. that down. But exactly. double leg cramps are the worst. Double leg cramps are the worst thing in the world out there in the mountains. Oh, yeah. I've had them. And yeah. Like the first time I ever went on an elk hunt when I moved here, I was hardcore keto. And I thought, like, I fasted the entire day and only brought a liter of water. And I definitely had some cramps that day. <laughs> uh, yep. Really bad. Yeah. Not doing yep. that again. That's when you figure it out. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, when I figured it out, too. Mistakes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cool. Yep. Well, one more thing, I guess, like, is there any, are there any new pieces of gear that you got really hyped about last year that you were like, this is, it was new and that really paid off throughout the season? Yeah. Yeah. So working for Kafaru, obviously, you know, doing a lot of R and D and research and design and also, you know, just testing out products. Um, this year was very heavily based in that. Um, there's a lot of new products. Like when, when is this going to come out? Is it going to come out after uh, the 25th? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely after the 25th, yeah. Okay, yeah, so after the 25th, we're going to be launching a whole new line of everything. So the main thing that I tested out this year was a frame. Um, we're going to have a totally different frame. It's going to be a lot simpler, a lot easier for people to use, but also a lot lighter. So it's lighter than anything we've done. Um, so that that was the biggest highlight. I started testing it in June, um, hunted all the way through everything. So, I mean, I got a lot of testing with it, you know, packing out a lot of animals and man, I, I'm so excited, especially we're going to launch that. It's going to be something new from Kafaru. Um, and that frame really, really opened my eyes in a sense of our, our design team and how much work we put into stuff. Um, and how, you know, how much R and D we built into it to create the right thing. Um, so I'm really excited. We're going to launch on the 25th. So after this comes, this is already going to be out, but, um, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. I, I love the frame hauling weight with it. It's going to be lighter than our duplex light. And I think you have the duplex light, don't you? I think. I um, actually, I have the, like the tactical still, cause you when I, I got okay. it when I, cause I, when I got it, I lived in Wisconsin. I wanted to carry tree stands and stuff. So I have like the solid, mm-hmm. it's a heavier frame, but I love it. I've yeah. never had an issue with it. Oh yeah. And that's the thing is like, and that's what I'm going to try to preface here is our, frames still to this day i still believe our duplex light is the best frame ever created um but the new frame is going to be better than that and it's going to be more moving with your body in a sense of but you're not going to lose the hauling capabilities like there was some trial and error when i first was doing it especially killing like my wyoming bull big body bull a lot of weight and i was getting a little bit of shift shiftiness with my frame but i started to you know figure it out and now i got that thing dialed to where i don't have to worry about anything it's a lightweight setup um i think because we're going to launch a bag with it too and that whole system is going to be just around four pounds which is wow light for kafaru yeah yeah yep so i deer hunted doing it and that's one thing i haven't posted a whole lot of stuff my pack outs wise this year just because been trying out the new frame and the new bag um in the the montana deer and idaho deer i've posted some pictures of pack outs but that's what i'm using because Every other bag of our duplex bag will attach to this frame, but we're also going to have another bag that's ultra light and like very easy, 4,200 cubic inches, be able to backpack in. Like it's, it's going to be cool. Cause I think we can cater to the backpacking market too. Um, so like people that, you know, want to just backpack, they don't hunt, but they want a lightweight backpack that is built and sturdy. Um, so that's really exciting, you know, be able to market that off. Um, so I, that's the biggest thing is, gear that i use this year was our new frame that's going to be coming out um very excited you know to finally be able to talk about it um all the r&d that went into it um we're going to have uh that frame with two new bags um a new lid um so it's it's exciting times especially here you know uh but definitely the number one thing and for the 2023 season was that new frame um and it's it's going to be exciting and i think people are going to be happy with what's going to be there and now there's no reason to not have a kafaru like if people say oh like it's so heavy like i can't do this well here it is like there's no reason not to so it's uh it's exciting times for sure that's awesome it's been yeah it's been probably like what four years since the last one came out frame wise i think roughly mm-hmm. Some, something yep. like that. i think so running there yeah four or five Yep. 
Yep. So, yeah, it's, so that's going to be really good exciting. Stuff. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. I still want, I need to bring my pack to maybe TAC or whenever you guys are somewhere in around Montana for trade show wise. Cause I, I still to this day don't really know if I have my shoulder straps fully, like perfectly set up, but uh, yeah. it's, it's never been like a big issue. I just, I'm like you where I overanalyze shit and I'm like, like to this day i'm like are, are my yeah. are my straps right you know yeah. oh yeah so no i get that and like like this last week i got a bow uh well not this last week but the last like three weeks i've been screwing with that thing the last three weeks just trying to get it perfectly set up like shimming cams and different arrow setups but i finally got it dialed in and even then i'm still like there's something else i'm missing um but yeah no you can but you can send me pictures of you wearing it and then i'll, I'll tell you if they're correct or not so yeah that'd be great yeah i will do that yep. we'll do that yeah sweet well ken that was awesome i learned a ton i know people listening are <laughs> gonna learn a ton um you definitely you know i mean you're what you're 26 right yep how old are you yep, 26. 26 yeah you're 26 I mean, yep. for, for being for being that young you're uh think you're way ahead most people from uh at hunting especially in the mountains and i think i mean it just shows that hard work pays off and from what you've told me now and from what you told me when i met you i know you go super duper hard so that's really inspiring um i'll i'll get to the point where i can just look at the map and find the elk and on day one eventually i just yeah. i'm too much of a generalist with also the foraging and stuff i I do too much, but that's always been my. Issue. <laughs> it's okay, yeah, though. yeah. I, well, I'm playing yeah, the long game with all this. Yeah, yeah. And every day gets a, a bit plan. better. Yeah, every year gets a bit better. Like so, that's that's another tip, right, for people who are just getting into it. Like, I've been hunting for like seven, eight years now, consistently, and you've been doing it your whole life. Like, it's always every. That's one of the best parts about it is that every year you can feel and see the progress, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that definitely has me coming back to hunting as well. And to meet, of course, but yep. yeah. Yep. And also like the biggest tip too, is I never feel like I know everything. I always am continuously wanting to learn. I always feel like I'm just still that 12 year old kid, not knowing what I'm doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, I want to continue to learn. And I know for a fact I'll hunt for my lifetime and still not know exactly how to do everything correctly um or you know know exactly what's going on like i i think striving to continue to improve is the best way to get good at something um to never settle and i i know for a fact my mind will never settle in a sense i i really don't look back and be like oh like i did this i did that i i always look forward in what's coming next you know celebrate your successes yes but look for future successes and strive to get to there so um just want to continue and improve. I think that's just what keeps me going. Totally. Love it. Is there anything else you want to say that I didn't ask anything? I mean, definitely where can people find you online? Um, definitely yep. share all that, please. Yep. Yep. So my name's obviously Kenneth Thrall. Um, you can find me on Instagram. It's just at Kenneth Thrall. Um, and then if you want to contact me with, uh, with Kafaro, just my email is kthrall at kafaro.net. Um, so, yeah, if, hit me up if you have any questions about anything. I love talking hunting with people. Um, also, I love Kafaru, so I, you know, I use our gear as much as I can, and also just know our gear in and out. So if you have questions about Kafaru, um, just about the packs or pack fitment, 
feel free to reach out, email me, you know, kthrawkafar.net or to shoot me a DM at Kenneth Raw. Love it. And I'll tag everything in the episode descriptions and whatnot so people can find it easily. Cool. Well, thanks. And maybe we can do another one at, at some point. That'll be fun. Oh, for sure. Yep. Yep. Thank you for having me on. It's definitely great talking with you. All right. We've come to the end of the episode. Hope you really enjoyed it. Don't forget, you can get 15% off with Montana Block at emptyblock.com. They have these wood and grain butcher blocks, cut, specialty cutting boards, uh, magnetic knife holders, all made from American wood and American materials. And that's 15% off with the code Year of Plenty at checkout. So again, 15% off with Year of Plenty at checkout. Also, if you got value from this podcast episode, please share it with a friend. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Connect with me personally. You can do that over on the social media. Instagram is probably the best place. That's at Poldy Wheeland. I also have a Twitter and a Facebook for the Year of Plenty podcast. So I'll link all those in the podcast episode description. On oh, one more thing, if you do leave a review for the podcast, send me a screenshot of it either on my Instagram or to my email address, which is theyearofplenty at gmail.com. And I will give you a link to download my free food preservation guide. All right, my friends, until next time, let's keep exploring real food together.